Welcome back to Mark's Madness, now part of Chunkaluta. It's like a breaking news from like back in the day. <laughs> you know? I don't know. I can't do the good <laughs> ones, and we don't have our sound clip right now. That did Maybe. sound more like an Animaniacs news bit, though. Right, that's what I was going for, was an Animaniacs news bit. <laughs> Breaking news. We shot down a balloon. That's right. That is that is the kind of shit that would be on Animaniacs. A half million dollar missile shot down a twelve dollar balloon. <laughs> I hate that that's true. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, yep. What a hellhole. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're... There's not a lot of current events to talk about that we haven't already said. Yeah, I mean, there's plenty of current events, but we've we've talked about the stuff going on. You know, I mean, there's an ongoing war. Biden did his you know, state of address yeah. or whatever. Talked about balloons. Talks- didn't talk about Ohio, mm-hmm. East Palestine, Palestine, and it's freaking contamination. They're trying to pretend that that shit's not happening. Yeah, basically. they're trying to pretend it's not happening. And Republicans are like... They're doing this really partisan thing where they're trying to say it's a Democrat thing and like exaggerating it. So I've seen people like make up acid rain claims, which is really confusing because there are thousands of people who are going to like be poisoned and have real stuff. And and the right wing's like clouding that up with false claims. So we can't even figure out how bad it is because it's not being covered. It, it's fucking garbage. And then you got a lot of libs going. Who cares? They voted for yeah. Trump. <laughs> they voted for Trump, implying that like means they deserve to die. And of course, you know, it, obviously, it must have been every single person in Ohio, not not just broadly as a state. I mean, Ohio. I'm sorry if you're from there, but it's not it's not a fun place. I feel like there is a lot of Trump voters. In Ohio. I, you know, okay, but I, <laughs> I'm in Missouri. I, I don't know, you know about like, everybody. Yeah. Like I. <laughs> I can't. I can't look at another state and be like that. State looks a little red. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Sorry, I'm from Michigan. We're a little better. We got Gretchen Whitmer. It's, like, it's not better. Uh, no, freaking. She. Uh, she's trying to like. Well, she wants to do these microchip factories, right? Mm-hmm. To compete with Taiwan. Yeah. But the feds won't let her because they want to support Taiwan. <laughs> It's so stupid. <laughs> so anyway, we're going to jump into the reading right away and see if we can't make it to uh, part three. Yeah. Uh, 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 I'll go, or area five um, would, area, would yeah, wrap up part two. Yeah, because we've got area five through nine left in part two. Page 88, free, reliable, and accessible public transportation and infrastructure. <laughs> Interesting subject right now. Um, oh wow yeah that's a little, <laughs> a little on the nose <laughs> oops we planned that <laughs> um public transportation is not a funding priority for federal or city governments despite surveys showing that over 70 percent of people in the united states want better public transportation in fact this is often the first services that city councils will withdraw funds from to funnel towards other areas Conversely, law enforcement routinely receives the majority of state and city funds with almost three times more funding than public transportation and increases each year. In Pennsylvania, for example, funding is actively and intentionally diverted from public transport programs and funneled into police departments. Transit security also commits a significant portion of the overall police violence that black, indigenous, and migrant workers experience. And this is, of course, you know, we see this now. They could, they could, 
put the funding that the police overtime goes into to just make, you know, public transportation free, um, like the subway free in New York. And instead they've got subway cop basically, you know, down there to maul homeless people and, and, and attack people for, you know, fair evasion. Right. It's just a way to funnel people into prison. Well, what's worse is they put $62 million into hiring a bunch of new fucking cops under Eric Adams, that fucking fascist. Mm-hmm. And uh, these cops are just going around finding any way, shape, or form to bring in money. I mean, it's yeah. it's uh, old school fucking Bloomberg shit, really. Um, but like, we're seeing videos like every day of just unmarked cars and shit pulling up on people. Like, there's a van with like 10 fucking cops just coming out and like, like all coming up to the dude, like, "Well, what are you doing? We'll see you tonight." You know, yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. It's fucking terrifying, and it's going to get worse before it gets better. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. Well, and they cops, are not going to spend it on infrastructure. Cops, cops don't care about the law anyway. There was another video circulated. I'm sure this is something that's very common, but someone got a video of it of cops like trying to tell kids they couldn't play basketball in a public park because they didn't have a permit. <laughs> like. 20 bucks you could (laughs) that would be me if i was a cop that goes the kids yo you got like five bucks (laughs) five bucks you could play on this court i mean i guarantee there's a bunch of them that do shit there's something i mentioned earlier in the the book is anyone who's done any kind of community service it sucks there's this like unspoken thing that you know you sell food you're gonna give you're gonna give some freebies to the cops they don't press a little too hard to bring the health inspector by and bully you up and shit like that so they get free food out of it and then anyone you know asshole that's you know in their group that really is just more run of the mill ideology is just like, Oh, we're supporting our first responders. And then it like, you know, loops back into that cycle. I mean, it's, it's just fucking it's bullying and that works as propaganda. It's messy. It's awful. Um, so yeah, they, they already do that shit. They just also arrest people whole fuck done. Well, and then they're like doing stop and frisk yeah. stuff again, and it's like, oh, and yes. uh, I always forget the word for it, but where they can just take your shit, and they don't even have to give it back if there was no arrest. Um, they basically can like pull you over and say we suspect stuff, take all your shit, and then leave um, under the guise that that your shit that they're taking is important for an investigation or criminal investigation or something like that. You know, forfeiture <laughs> laws where you just have to. To forfeit your your I mean civil property right your your non uh your property basically they take your shit um so yeah I mean cops are just fucking bullies it's just the mafia with badges oh yeah right mm-hmm. I mean like it's a it's organized crime mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. in the bullies most organized the mafia, way if not organized crime yeah I mean like half the time they work together right mm-hmm. but uh. Living near city-run bus stops and major routes can make or break a worker's ability to maintain a job or access health services. Yet there are obstacles even when public transit is available. Landlords and developers capitalize on transit infrastructure and raise housing prices for properties close to transit and major roadways, treating access to transportation as a luxury rather than a basic human right. While public transit releases fewer emissions per person than private vehicles, it is not accessible to most workers. 10% of whom do not have access to a private vehicle. And in many metropolitan areas, less than 50% of workplaces are accessible by public transportation. And that's in metropolitan areas, by the way. You get out of metropolitan areas and public transit is just non-existent. Um, Well, right now, I mean, here we have a pretty decent public transit system that, due to the size of the UP, has to cover 
large expanses. So, I mean, like, my dad drives Union uh, for the bus uh, system here. Yeah. And uh, fucking, he's sometimes driving, like, two to three hours from one city to the next because of the distance between them. Yeah. So it's like, I mean, first off, if you live out there, that is super inconvenient that it takes that long to get back out there. Mm -hmm. You know, like you all of a sudden you're talking like a 14 hour work day. Oh yeah. You know, 15 hour work day. Yeah. We've met you before. Include transit. Yep. Transit is unpaid work time because you're not going there for yourself. Right. Well, but I'm saying like freaking going on the public transportation yeah, system. It's also slow, even slower. Yeah. It's like, yeah. You know, <laughs> but that's it. That's all you have. Or you mm-hmm. got like a cab that's going to charge you $80 to go fucking 10 miles. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, do, 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 uh, where do we go? Oh. Yeah, less than 50% of workplaces are accessible by public transportation. This percentage shrinks even further when we consider what an accessible workplace is is one that can be reached with, within 90 minutes. Who wants to commute 90 minutes for a minimum wage job? I mean, I was commuting uh, from Adrian, Michigan to Ann Arbor, and that was about, uh, I'd want to say 45 minutes because I drive fast. Yeah. Um, like it's an hour freaking drive minimum mm-hmm. and like i was only making like 18 dollars an hour that's not enough to not enough to make that drive live, worth it. live past you know oh i can afford my apartment barely mm-hmm. you know <laughs> i mean for me i was also doing this podcast stuff on the side but like oh, yeah I'm, I'm very fortunate my uh my employer, they won't let me work at home full time, but they'll let me work at home uh, three out of five days a week. And it's like, well, shit, that's three days. They're not stealing my transit hours. I'll fucking take that. You know? Yeah, I'll stay at home. Lack of public transportation and poor road conditions in and around reservations make travel for basic necessities less or like groceries, healthcare, and school difficult for many native folks. Road maintenance on reservation roads can be funded up to 10 times less per mile, $500, than what is allocated for city and state roads, $5,000. Road conditions are often poor, with over 60% of roads unpaved and almost a quarter of bridges deficient, making public transportation a serious public health hazard for Native people. Indigenous nations are often unable to address these conditions because they own and maintain less than 10% of reservation roads. The lack of funding for infrastructure within indigenous nations is an obvious form of abandonment on the part of state actors. Access. Well, and this is like, I mean, this is like something they started doing when they refused to continue upholding uh, treaty obligations and certain infrastructure that they were. Because, like, I mean, when they like are signing these treaties, right? Like, some of the infrastructure were guaranteed as like blacksmiths and shit. So it's like, <laughs> oh, jeez. I mean, like. You know, if, if that's like the case, you still got to maintain it. Mm-hmm. And it, I would imagine that's cheaper. Yeah. I would, I would have thought than like whatever the replacement would be. Yeah. Like, you don't have to like put in an industrial factory. We, we just need a guy who can make us horseshoes. Yeah. You know? like, exactly. <laughs> um, access, access to reliable transportation is one of the biggest actors in maintaining or preventing poverty and even life itself. 
Organizing for free, reliable, and accessible public transportation and infrastructure must therefore be an area of priority for the left. We must organize campaigns to increase operation hours and routes or areas of service, which in turn would mean more jobs for bus drivers, whose labor struggles should always be connected for movements for free and accessible public transportation. In order to wage successful campaigns, we must realize that all federal transportation appropriations, 80% goes to highways, whereas only 20% goes towards transit. The vast majority of these funds line the pockets of private contractors who make for-profit from infrastructure projects and automobile corporations who lobby to improve highways so that consumers will continue to purchase and drive private vehicles. Well, right, and so then, like... because they're giving people money, you know, while lobbying, they're like, Hey, come to this dinner, this Mm -hmm. super nice dinner. And you'll get this sweet watch and shit, you know, like fucking Michigan. uh, It's just, we just pay double yeah, for all road work, all road work, double it. Give, Give us an estimate. It will double it. Jeez. What? And I mean, like, that's cool for the worker, right? But, like, you got to think about how much their fucking boss is yeah. siphoning off of them. Like, you know they're not reaping the full value of whatever kickbacks come from that shit. Oh, 100%. Like, and you're giving it to, like, a small niche of workers in order to prevent access to things for many more workers. Yeah, it's... it's... Well, well, the worst part is it's actually not a small niche of workers. You know oh, guy on Road Commission here. Oh, really? It's such a small population. Uh, you know a guy who works at the Road Commission. I guess. Always. Yeah. I mean, because people will drive hours mm-hmm. to go do that job because it's so good. Because you get paid fucking double on I state mean, work. I mean, that makes sense. Yeah. It's fucking awesome. Like, uh, we paid like $2 million or something for a roundabout and then got like an $18 million kickback. It's really? like, what happened to that money? Yeah. Well, like... They used it to replace lead piping uh-huh. in our town, but also like, I I, I really want to know what happened to all the money because they did not replace all of the lead piping. <laughs> this means that the majority of public money, our money, goes towards inflating the profits of the ruling class. We must advocate for public money to go to operational costs like driver wages, gas, and bus maintenance which creates stable employment for thousands of working-class people. We can also advocate for city governments to stop paying private corporations with public money and instead funnel federal appropriations into subsidizing transit so it is free free for everyone regardless of income or access to resources. We should also, I don't know, fix our rail lines. (laughs) Jesus. Did you see that the only? Well, I mean, only six 60- with the rail lines, you have to you have to completely overhaul it. Mm-hmm. Like it is not feasible to leave the rails just strewn across the country like this, yeah. and like expect any sort of like animals to be able to regenerate effectively. I mean, that that's like the only thing that we need to be aware of is that we need to be thinking in ways that not only help us now, Mm -hmm. but also consider the environment. Because if we're putting these railways across the entire U.S., which is fine, Mm -hmm. you know, you need to make a way for the deer to go across 
without getting freaking killed as well as like like every day like every like couple hours i guess somebody jumps in front of a train so like we should figure that out yeah i don't know if it's an accident like what the statistics are but there are a lot of bodies in front of trains in this country mm-hmm. and it's kind of terrifying so it's something to consider it's same with like the post office like people don't realize how many people die in the post office every year those like trucks are like death machines I know too many union workers. That's my issue. <laughs> I, I was going to say, I, I know some postal workers, so yeah. Um, we should also utilize the present energy behind defunding the police to demand less armed police and security on public transit. We can also advocate for city governments to defund law enforcement more generally and put those funds into better public transit. In addition to these considerations, it is important to understand that transit systems often own a significant portion of land in cities, especially land adjacent to important routes. This land can be used for building affordable homes that are close to the routes rather than being sold and leased to real estate developers for the purposes of gentrification. Combining housing justice with calls for better public transportation and our local organizing can facilitate these connections and strengthen our efforts to support poor and working class populations in urban areas. Finally, we must acknowledge the call for better public transportation is also a sovereignty sovereignty issue. I have no idea why I suddenly had trouble pronouncing a word I've said several times in my life. Sovereignty issue. Uh, because indigenous nations need jurisdiction over their roads to improve them. We should always advocate in our public transit campaigns for indigenous people to have complete sovereignty over their lands and infrastructure, including roads, highways, and transportation systems. And these are wins we can get. Mm-hmm. Tomorrow, there's no reason we can't be fighting for this along with everything. Like, this is something... The, the very concept that we aren't even legally allowed to touch our roads. That's insane. That's an asinine level of paternalism. Yeah. An asinine level. Yeah. And especially when you consider how much like, you know, like they try, Oh, have you ever been on a reservation? It's, you know, all this shitty stuff. It's like, well, the state doesn't give us any money and we're not allowed to touch half the shit. So, mm-hmm. Yeah. What are we going to do? You know, like if we get electricity like installed, it's the state's workers that come. It's not ours. You know, they maintain that monopoly. You fucking bet they maintain that monopoly. Mm -hmm. And like, uh, well, like, so uh, Yellow Thunder Camp back in the day, this would have been like 80 something, uh, 83 maybe, 82. Uh, Off the top of my head, I couldn't tell you. Uh, but basically, uh, it happened uh, kind of, I forget the little town there, but um, it was like in the Badlands, technically. Okay. Um, yeah. And like the closest town, I forget the name of it on my reservation, but you know, like you, you'd have to go, you'd have to go out there. And there was some law in the 1800s that allowed people to set up churches on national park land. And so they argued that this settlement that was going to be like a, a sustainable living mm-hmm. um, encampment that would like set up solar panels and stuff, it didn't work out because feds. Um, feds came in, shot some guns, framed us, blah, blah, blah. Um, 
because there was supposed to be no guns. Yeah. Uh, because of wounded knee. Yeah, it's just, there's a lot of history there. Read Blood of the Land if you want to know more. But basically, you know, every time we've tried to do our own sovereignty shit, we keep getting fucked. Every single fucking time. And, and well, like with the, the Jeff Bezos money with Indian Collective, like that, they're trying to do stuff like that. But it's like, you know, that. <laughs> It's it's kind of fucked us in the way that all these people saw Bezos gave us money once, and now like a bunch of donations kind of like slowed down because Ew. people are like, "Oh, Bezos is gonna be like taking over the Lakota tribe." Basically, like oh, I don't know. There's a lot of just stupidity on the part of settlers because they're because it's like it's it's just a one time donation. Yeah. It's, what. It's, and they're not connected with the reservation. They're one org. So it's not like, and like they'll do whatever they want with that money. You know, like, yeah, I mean, they're doing cool stuff like paying for people's college and stuff, but like, uh, you know, it's like, should be the people's money, I guess. And like, if you're saying land back, maybe, maybe land backs a little more than just building, houses with solar panels i don't know it just kind of seems like a like a very caucasian way of <laughs> solving the issue sure it's like build houses and that will fix it it's like you know nobody can afford those houses yeah <laughs> unless you're gonna give them away for free for some reason you don't weird <laughs> you know i don't know there's a lot of different issues, but uh, programitis is what Madonna Thunderhawk calls it. Um, and with with that and uh, programitis in our vocabulary now, uh, we're going to move on to area six, non-carceral mental health support and no more suicides. Um, Which th- we kind of like segued into that with the train talk. Yeah. And, and this should have this, I mean, obvious content warning here. Um Oh yeah, like if you're, if not for the faint of heart, uh, however long we're on this topic, because I don't know, my life kind of sucks. Yeah, you'll find you'll you'll come to you'll you'll be really sad listening. Okay, I'm really sorry uh, if it gets depressing. Hopefully, my laughs and jokes to cope with stuff will make everything better. Mm-hmm. It's just really depressing stuff here. And I have too much personal experience, so. Sure. Um, oh, I should probably read You should it. probably read that. Yeah, I was thinking that, but go ahead. Yeah. Native people in North America have some of the highest rates of suicide, not only in the country, but in the world. We are not alone. LGBTQ2 plus relatives and members of the poor and working classes from the global South commit suicide at extremely high rates. What kind of suffering must our relatives be experiencing to decide that suicide is their only option? In the United States, suicide is the second leading cause of death for people between the ages of 15 to 34, a reality that closely parallels statistics of the rest of the world where suicide is the second leading cause of death for people aged 15 to 24. Studies vary wildly 
when it comes to determining whether suicides have increased or decreased uh, under neoliberalism, but they agree that men commit suicide three to four times more often than women. Although women typically attempt suicide three times more often than men and are twice as likely to experience depression. LGBTQ2 plus youth are three times more likely to attempt suicide than cisgendered heterosexual youth. And 41% of transgender adults report having attempted suicide at some point in their lives. Um, all the statistics are listed in the back. Yeah. Um, if you want to check citations. And, and I think, I think kind of the important thing there is, is the attempts, uh, it, you know, the, the success, if you want to call it that, I don't, I don't know how to, how to word it otherwise. Yeah. Um, completion of, rate. Yeah. Completion rate of, of men's suicide being so radically high compared to women's does not change that, you know, women attempt it more that uh, LGBTQ two plus uh, people attempt suicide more, you know, and, and this is something that you're, you're driven to. And it's, it's, it's a mix of, of a lot of things, right? It's, it's a chemical issues. It's depression from uh, trauma uh, as well as, you know, chemical. It's, it's not a moment where you're rational. It usually is driven by either hopelessness or just total irrational emotion. Um, it's, it's a difficult subject and a difficult thing to, to, to deal with. Well, you know, if you are struggling with those feelings, it's really important to reach out to somebody, right? Like that's like a disclaimer, I guess. Yeah. Whatever you want to call it. Uh, PSA, you know, that if you are thinking about that, it is important to have what's called a safety plan in place for in case uh, those feelings escalate. Um, I think it's important that every cadre thinks, considering at how pervasive an issue this is for every group of people, um, I think we need to make sure that we are educating ourselves on this and understanding it through a dialectical perspective. And so one of the things that helped radicalize me as well as helped me when I tried committing suicide at um, 18 was uh, dialectical behavioral therapy, um, which obviously dialectical materialism, dialectical behavioral therapy, the, it lends itself quite easily, obviously, and you can see where the jump came from. Um, but, you know, a lot of people's issues or whatever you want to call them ailments. Um, they're, they stem from um, alienation. A lot of, a lot of the depression and suicide and stuff like that, uh, feelings of, of aloneness and stuff like that. But um, you know, it's obviously way more complicated than you could say, you know, effectively, like there's a lot of people that are, uh, just exercise more and you'll be happy. And it's like that you'll be happier. Sure. Everybody will be happier if they're healthier. That's just, you know, a fact of life. The issue is, can you maintain that habit, you know, economically for one, primarily, I would say economically Mm -hmm. two, environmentally, like uh, it's, I get like eight feet of snow. (laughs) I'm not running in the winter. I putting on weight. 
you know, I'll do sit-ups a little more, but I'm not going to be able to do enough sit-ups to uh, supplement my cardio. I'm missing, you know, it's just not going to happen. I, I can get a gym membership, but then I need to have a car to get to the gym to use that membership. And it's just, as well as the, the or the major, I could get a treadmill, the major cancellation fees on those gym memberships. If you do oh, lose your job within the, the time frame of those contracts. Yeah, well, that happened to me, and yeah, they they'll come for you. Mm-hmm. Right. And then the trick is to just keep changing your phone. Number. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, and and uh, basically, something I w- I want to throw out there with this too, because people get, I, I see a lot of feelings that come out of of it, um, a lot of fear and, and guilt that comes out from from anyone that's that's either you know ever had. Uh, suicidal thoughts or people that have lost someone to that. And the thing to remember, and this is why I stress, you know, it's not that it's, it's totally irrational. There's no connection to reality. You know, people are being alienated. People lose hope, uh, obviously with trauma and with struggle, the, the rates spike. I mean, this is not something that has no outside factors. When I say it's irrational, it means like you can state the facts of how good it is, uh, how good your life is. And yeah. And you can state the facts of how worth it is, how worthwhile it is to to live and truly believe it. And in that moment, that 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 doesn't matter. Those feelings are overwhelming. And so, you know, the the two key things are: be there to to talk to people and listen. And if you're not prepared, don't put yourself in that position. Don't. It'd be better to have someone who can handle that. Talk. Oh, that's a big one. Yeah, that's than, a big than one. Someone trying don't. too hard to mm-hmm. like let people know you're there for them, but like be like, I can't take on mm-hmm. that emotional way if you can't, you know? Yeah. And if, if you're caught in the moment, like you're letting them be, you know, know you're being there for them. And then they, they go to you in that moment and you're not prepared. Don't freak out and don't say like, I'm sorry, I'm not prepared for this and push them away. And don't, don't try to put the pressure on yourself to do it right. Because that's, that's unfair. What you should do is hang with them and then bring in, like another outside voice, like, you know, get, get some agreement with them, like another voice and get another voice that may be more prepared to handle the situation rather than dumping it on yourself or leaving them. Um, but whatever happens, you know, this is not anybody's fault. Okay. It is a systemic fault. That's why it, it traces so well with trauma. Um, but that's a, that's a broad system thing. And we're trying to overthrow that system, uh, as an individual, you know, someone else's is self-harm or your tendencies for self-harm, is not your or their fault. Well, and I, yeah, I guess that's a really big one to stress is that blaming ourselves for the way we relieve our pain mm-hmm. is that's a moralistic, pointless direction to go into. We're materialists. And so a lot of times people, when they hear Marx say um, religion is the opioid of the masses, they assume that's bad. Mm-hmm. Opioids bad. And that's, you know, recent thinking. What it really means is that it's a salve. It's, mm-hmm. it's something that will relieve the pain momentarily. Um, like I can talk pretty deeply about my own pathologies and issues <laughs> um, and like where they stem from. But like, I don't think that's necessary for one. Uh, for two, I think it's a little dark, and morbid. Uh, <laughs> but uh, the point is, is that um, I guess each person, uh, as an individual, you know, 
the only thing they can do is to cope really with what's going on. You can, and coping comes in a lot of ways and a lot more ways than you expect. A lot of people don't realize what is a coping method, you know? Um, but organizing is actually a very proactive coping mechanism that um, much like exercising is good for establishing habits and and uh, community, which is one of the biggest thing is community. A lot of us get so uh, alienated from other people because uh, we're ca- caught in the constant social reproduction of capitalism, right? In that, you know, I wake up, I go to work, I come home, I eat, rinse and repeat, you know, and then on the weekend, maybe you get to hang out with your friends if they you know, are also available at the same time. Cause let's be honest, who's working a nine to five from Monday to Friday anymore. Like, you know, like not a lot of people, <laughs> you know, those of you who are, it's like, well, you're a, you have to understand you're at a privileged place amongst the working class with that, just that little gain, <laughs> that little gain. And that's, I mean, sick days, Sick days are a privilege in our society right now. So when people go, oh, baristas are proletariat, it's like, I feel like they're a little more proletariat than some of the people on the MAGA communist side of things. Yeah. That's for sure. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I mean, and also too, like, let's say you even hit jackpot and get a nine to five job, because I know this one firsthand. I, I... lucked into that kind of good oh, work I've, schedule. I've done it, but yeah. that shit sucks. Anyway. Yeah, well, it still sucks. Is like <laughs> everyone you know doesn't have that schedule. And so like getting together well, is just uh, not I mean, that like simple. They, yeah. they purposely design it to where like people's lunch breaks don't line up and stuff. And like where you'll be mostly alone on your lunch break just so that way, like, well, I was working in a call center, right? So they still needed people on the phone. You couldn't all take a break at the same time. And so, you know, like there, there's no fucking like lunchroom talks really and if there is yeah. it's really fucking awkward time with like somebody you have like what's your name i've seen you half a dozen times and i keep forgetting it so. I, yeah i i can tell you in my entire life i've never talked to anybody at a water cooler that's a fiction <laughs> oh, um <laughs> I'm like, have I a water cooler? Like maybe a refrigerator? Yeah, like, yeah. A Walmart. Like <laughs> that's like the only time I've ever had a like, lunch break with all of my coworkers was at Walmart, yeah. and it was only my team, you know. So it's like, well, and then like some other people from other places, but like, I mean, that was like an issue for them. Like the fact that we all got the same lunch break yeah. and communicated with each other and hung out so much. Like we basically did like wildcat strikes. Oh like, wow, nice! Just just two. Yeah. Like we, we we were like, ah, but our pizza just got here. We're gonna just stay out <laughs> another forty five minutes. Nice. Fuck them. Nice. You know, like so we're just doing it to eat pizza and get drunk on the job. It's fucking <laughs> awesome. But uh, yeah, like I don't know. It doesn't like that's why they stop that they don't want you to have community because when you have community you end up having more power as a worker Mm -hmm. and if you're like literally you at home if you have a community and you go to work you are going to be a better worker yeah you know but if you're alienated at home and then you go to work and you're alienated there 
you're going to be a depressed and disgruntled worker that, you know, fucking eventually might like, you know, destroy company equipment or something. Yeah. Or who knows what else, like whatever disgruntled actions happen, they happen because of that alienation. Mm Mm-hmm. Where were we? <laughs> uh, we were at all those studies, right? Yeah, although there you go. All those studies and statistics yeah. on suicide are incomplete. Oh, I was just oh I'm sorry. You're reading. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> all those studies and statistics on suicide are incomplete. <laughs> <laughs> it is clear that suicide is like linked to race, poverty, gender, and colonialism. For example. Arizona, New Mexico, Utah, Washington, Montana, South Dakota, and Wyoming rank among the states with the highest suicide rates in the country. What do these states have in common? They all have the highest rates of Native populations. Native people die by suicide at rates higher than any other demographic in the United States. Our youth are especially at risk across the board, men, women, and gender nonconforming people alike. How often do we hear stories of youth suicides, often in clusters of four or more within a short time period in geographic location, happening in Native communities? Youth suicide deaths are so common in Indian country that it is impossible to talk about healthcare, mental health, gender, sexuality, education, housing, or incarceration without also talking about suicide. Our alarm and our action should match the magnitude of the crisis. Um, in my personal experience, I've survived uh, my latest suicide attempt last year. Uh, was you know because I was like, yeah, all right, I tried hard enough. Uh, you know, I had a kid. You know, there's a lot going on in my life. I had lost a really good job. And, uh, yes, uh, there's, you know, the growing tide of white supremacy. It's sort of my job to try to educate people. And all of a sudden, MAGA communism is super popular. You know, it's uh, certainly a step backwards for the left, that's for sure. Yeah. Um. So it's very disheartening, um, very hard to uh, cope with a lot of that stuff along with, you know, many other issues going on, personal stressors, suicides amongst friends of my own, unfortunately, um, a lifetime of trauma, you know, uh, and like, environmental and genetic factors that I have no control over, you know, (laughs) like, uh, and statistically because of my mental illnesses, I will kill myself by 28. That's like, like eight out of 10 people with my affliction will kill themselves by 28. So it's, um, you know, like, that's a terrifying statistic. Terrifying. Um, so to me, you know, 
as somebody who's gone through a lot of therapy, does the exercising, has a relationship, you know, like I do the things, I do what I'm supposed to. I meditate, I do breathing exercises. I have many coping skills. I have pills. I take them every day, blah, 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 blah. You know, I try to avoid copious amounts of alcohol. You know, there's a lot of different things that cause this. Um, And just like, you know, trying to maintain your health to prevent diabetes or like um, heart issues, you know, your mental health is far more important, in my opinion, Um, because, you know, maybe food might make you a little happier, you know. But, like, you could be doing all these things, and if you have a mental illness like I do, it doesn't matter. Every day, you know, I struggle with suicidal ideation. And to think about killing yourself every single day when your life isn't that bad right now, like, objectively speaking, (laughs) I know where my life has been in the past, and I know where I am now. I am very well off right now compared to any other time in my life. So, um, and I'm not, I don't have a lot of money. It's just that, you know, for once, like I have a roof over my head that isn't uh, dictated uh, by some asshole, you know, (laughs) some asshole racist who's abusing me for my labor in some way, shape or form, you know, um, whether it's my paycheck or I'm growing weed for them or whatever, you know, like, there's a million reasons that people get very fed up with life. And I wouldn't say any of it's irrational. I would say most of it's very much rational thinking. Um, There is a rationale to it, at least. Whether or not it's one based in material reality, I don't think um, matters in cases like this because um, it's... It is, it's a metaphysical uh, thing, you know, it's uh, at this state, you know, you, cause you can't change the material conditions half the time, you know, so you quite literally have to figure out how to get your brain to rewire, to stop thinking like that. And that, I mean, you're brainwashing yourself. <laughs> like I, that's what they ask you to do. I like, I don't know how else to explain my years of mental health, but I've been doing this for 10 years now, fucking trying to get my brain to think normal. And, uh, you know, it, I am a very aware person and I'm very articulate at my issues. I'm being vague about them because I just don't want people to have that much knowledge of my personal life for one, for two, I'm already a very open and vulnerable person on here. I don't think I need to be that open. <laughs> and three, it, it's I, irrelevant. Because um, the important part is the understanding that it's okay to struggle. And I guess I'm really harping on this because I know how much a lot of people who I know listen to this struggle. And like, you know, the people I'm speaking to specifically in this moment are my friends and like, I love them and I don't want to, well, first off from the aspect of a revolution, we don't have a lot of hands 
All right. <laughs> we can't lose anybody. We can't. Okay. We need you. You know, we need you. Like, we, we need you. You are needed. You might not see it yet, but we need you. You know, when the time comes, you are needed. And you can make that time come sooner. You know, if it, to me, it's either somehow magically my mental health will fix itself through therapy, blah, 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 or it's revolution. Those, those, those are the only two choices I really have anymore because I suck at suicide, apparently. <laughs> so I'm just going to stop doing that. <laughs> and, uh, well, I also have a kid and stuff now, and it's a little unfair to him. Um, which is, you know, that's a whole thing to unpack there. But, um, you know, uh, there is another option. And it seems just as impossible um, at times. Like, I don't know quite how to explain suicidal ideation to people, but it's something that you're not supposed to do. So it's impossible to do, right? Theoretically. But you can do it when you take that step. Instead of taking that step to killing yourself, go all in on revolutions, whatever. I mean, as long as your family and friends are going to be happier you're alive, then they'll, like, hate you for being super communist in front of them. You know, they're just going to be happy that you're there. Trust me. You know, like, as somebody who coped through studying Marx and, like, doing, like, stupid amounts of drugs... Um, <laughs> I did a lot of meth and read a lot of marks. That was how I coped after surviving suicide. <laughs> Don't recommend that. <laughs> no meth. Therapy. No meth and marks. Method. <laughs> meth and marks. Not a yeah. no. Uh, go to therapy. Do things constructively. You know, but like, yeah, my I like my mom is a heroin addict. Who when I asked her about you know, mental illness in our family. She was like, just find a way to deal with it. If it works and you can still maintain a job, then I'm <laughs> I mean, okay. You're not wrong. Yeah. How many people are alcoholics in this country? You know? Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that's like our biggest hurdles in revolution, right? Is um, helping each other. I mean, that really is it, is a lot of people can't overcome that selfishness or alienation, really, because um, the alienation either makes you selfish or it makes you so anxious that you become reclusive, right? Or it overwhelms you to the point that you're so lethargic that you can only rest, you know? Or it depresses you because you you can't do anything. What... I mean, you live every day to give your money to somebody else. What life is that? That's not life. You know, like, <laughs> us Indians, we we weren't living like this very long. And fucking, let me tell you, we're sick of it. <laughs> we yeah. are sick of it. And I think land back solves all of our issues. 
because we want life the way we used to have it, which means you'll have life like that too. As long as you're still on our land, you'll get that life too because it's a communal ownership process rather than a private one. It is fundamentally juxtaposed to the settler colonial order. That literally means, definitionally, it has to oppose capitalism. If it doesn't, then it still is maintaining old uh, vestiges of a dead society. Or dying society, I should say. But, yeah, anyway, long story short, um, reach out to people. I don't know. Native youth are the literal future of our nation's future caretakers and caretakers of the future. Every time a young Native person dies by suicide, we lose a relative who might have played an important role in leading our people into the future. Their deaths, whether by suicide or other forms of violence, are one of the most devastating realities we face as Indigenous revolutionaries engaged in the future-oriented project of decolonization. We simply cannot claim to be doing revolutionary work unless we are aggressively and proactively organizing to stop suicides among our youth, men, women, LGBTQ+, and poor relatives. There are particular areas that we need our ur- that need our urgent attention. Access to mental health services in indigenous communities is limited and often expensive. As a result, the correlation between mental health issues like depression and suicide rates are overlooked, especially for youth. Indigenous children face extremely high rates and types of violence from an early age. Violence accounts for 75% of deaths for Native youth between age 12 and 20. Yeah, I just actually lost a nephew to gun violence. So there is a strong correlation between early exposure to violence, mental health, and suicide. More than 90% of people who died by suicide suffered from depression have a substance abuse disorder or both. We must address depression and substance abuse in order to address suicide. However, this is not an issue that can be fixed through better services or suicide prevention campaigns. Studies show that suicide rates are lower in Native communities that have strong self-determination over land, education, health, and governance. So quite literally... Only by realizing political sovereignty do you see mental health and communities start to um, go up. Mm -hmm. And I would imagine that if the workers actually had political sovereignty in this country, they too would experience, the white workers, I should say, you know, they too would experience that same um, level of dopamine increase, I guess. I don't know. (laughs) Right. No, elective dopamine. But, I mean, I I don't see why it wouldn't, you know. Yeah, no, I mean, you're breaking away from alienation either way, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah. I mean, we've said it um, before, but there's, there's two ways to measure quality of life, right? An absolute or relative absolute being like, you know, compared to some imaginary baseline and, and relative being compared to other people. And these systems stay in place because someone's placed in a better relative quality of life than someone else, even if your absolute quality of life would be lower. 
and the risk of losing your relative quality of life without winning the revolution and gaining the absolute just stops people from from pushing against the system and makes them lean into it. And that's how you get a lot of white supremacy and things like that. That's why it, it proliferates in, you know, the suburbs where, you know, you don't make the same personal connections with people with, with other communities, but you're not in the overt ruling class where you can have really any ideology as long as you're just, you know, keep destroying the class below you. It's the people that are at risk of falling out of that class. And rather than going, oh my God, we could group together and stop this whole tyranny, they would go, oh my God, I might lose people below me. If, if, if things don't, you know, things keep getting worse, I fall into the working class. I lose the people below me. If the working class has a revolution, I lose the people below me. I lose my relative quality of life. And then they turn to fascism. Relative quality of life is bullshit. Fuck it. Absolute quality of life, all that matters. I believe I called it ethereal earlier in the series uh, to them in that you know, it's a heavenly existence that could never possibly happen here on Earth until after they're dead, right? Yeah. Um, which I don't think they realize quite what they're saying, right? But uh, <laughs> get it, because if they're dead and out of the way, we could have a better quality yeah. of life. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, you know, like, uh, they're the people who, uh, you know, dress as women when women and children are the ones going on to the lifeboats, you know, like at the, um, in Titanic. I, I just thought the guy stole the gun when I watched the movie. Oh, well, I, I think that was like, maybe it was a cartoon oh. spoof of Titanic. I watched, but there was a boat movie, something like that where the dude like dressed up as a girl to, take the spot of the women and children because women and children first he's like i'm a woman you know i I don't know it's probably much funnier than the actual uh who who, it was avatar guy did that one right james cameron yeah 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 james cameron god avatar now i feel old you used what was basically a a, a grunge rock lyric to describe yourself when you said you're bad at suicide i was like oh i feel touched as a 90s kid but now I feel really old because you're thinking of James Cameron as the Avatar guy rather than the horror, the, the not horror. Uh, you got to think of it in guy. relation. You got to think of it in relation to Lakota people, though. And when we think of James Cameron now, well, yeah, okay, that's fair. It's his <laughs> stupid fucking comments that came from Avatar. That's fair. That's fair because that's calling us a what? desolate people. Well, in my crotchety old man, I will say the Titanic was shocking to be good. Because it was a historical fiction and a romance. And James Cameron in the 90s was basically like Michael Bay, except his movies weren't that like shitty, shittily written. But he was that kind of like special effect action guy. Uh, yeah, you could kind of tell that with uh, the shitty writing in Avatar, though. So it's, it's, it's almost as if like that's like that is if yeah. Michael Bay got really into like kino we're just i've been watching a lot of solaris we're just gonna we're just gonna say that you know james cameron walked so michael bay could run that's that's what we're gonna go with so michael bay can make a transform they can make a transformer ninja turtle movie testicles (laughs) did did you ever watch that i i I did not that was a real visual two big old wrecking balls (laughs) jeez
like a sun flare coming from behind them, if I remember correctly. It's like seared into my brain. That's wow, James. Not James. No, that was Michael Bay. <laughs> Could you imagine if James Cameron did that? I know. Anyway. I know. Uh, where were we? <laughs> uh, okay. Should we go together and act with? However, this is not an issue. Of the thousands of people who lived and worked and struggled together during the occupation of Standing Rock in 2016, not a single one died by suicide. The resistance camps were dominated by Native people who were otherwise surrounded by violence and death and colonialism that causes suicide in the first place. One would expect suicide to be as commonplace in these camps as any other Native community. But during that brief period of time, indigenous people were free. Everyone was sheltered, fed, cared for, and welcomed into ceremonial spaces. Everyone had a special role in maintaining the camp. All community members had access to cultural knowledge and free education. So when we say, what is land back? Land back is what we saw at DAPL. When for a short moment, we were free. For many, it was the first time they received positive affirmation for being indigenous, which resulted in pride and dignity. And it was not only indigenous people who benefited from this indigenous form of social and political organization. Non-native community members in the camps were treated with the same dignity and respect as native people. What we saw at Standing Rock was a truly self-governing, indigenous-led form of self-determination. It was a liberated zone. We therefore know that works, we therefore know what works and what we need to do in order to reverse the trend of suicide for all people, restore dignity and indigenous values. The only way this will happen is if everyone promotes decolonization the return of indigenous lands and true self-determination for indigenous people. And we're going to end that there today. Yeah, that was a very, we, we actually got through two sections today and one was very important and, and quite a bit to talk about. And I got to compare the the man who made Terminator and alien to Michael Bay. So, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh he made terminator too oh my goodness yeah yeah like i said wow. that was like michael bay like writes shitty movies and makes them four special or not right he gets shitty shittily written movies and he makes them four special effects but the like blow up special effects action movie guy before that was james cameron but they were good movies and uh and then right. titanic happened and then he went on his weird avatar ben bullshit um, well, when you become stupidly rich, right, right, you can do whatever the fuck you want. When you get stupidly rich, you know, you know, off off movie franchises, it's the same thing that uh, what's his face did with the Star Wars trilogy with Jar Jar Binks, oh, George Lucas. <laughs> yeah, that is exact. You did not just compare Avatar to oh, off Avatar the movie is Jar Jar Binks. I did not is even that what... make that connection. I was just saying the most annoying thing from the Star Wars trilogy, but damn. That is quite the insult. I'm sorry. Quite the insult. No, I mean, I won't disagree. I'm just, wow, that is, 
like two time number one box office, <laughs> and you just called it Jar Jar Binks. <laughs> yeah, they had a apple that phased into her mouth the second uh, of the new of that prequel trilogy. Like it just sort of like clips into her mouth, so it's avatars kind of higher than that. yeah yeah fair enough fair enough i mean again you know i i'm not doing james cameron favors in today's episode <laughs> fair so if you all uh want to reach out to us uh mark's madness pod at gmail.com bands of turtle island at gmail.com chunkaluta 1973 at gmail.com at bands island at mark's madness pod at Chunkaluta 1973 on Twitter. Um, Discord. Uh, we have tangentially launched the Chunkaluta Discord for patrons for sure. And then if you're cool and you know me, DM me if you want it. Or like, you know, somebody who's also an admin. I don't know. You got to know somebody. You got to be invited. Invite only. Uh, no, but there's also still the Mark's Madness server, uh, which is standard. Uh, we try to be in it. Nathan is is there. Nathan, that's where the only place you can talk to Nathan now. Yeah, he's he stepped um, away from the mic, but he's still very active on the server. So, yeah, so you can you can hang out with Nathan there, or uh, get us get our attention. Uh, and uh, 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 there's a, there's a Patreon. I said that, eh? Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, am I forgetting anything? Uh, just plugs, um, like well, yeah, right? I mean, like, I'm like, well, I mean, like if there's any, you know, project or because you you were between projects with the money reallocation thing, right? Yeah, right. Yeah. So we don't have a project so I, to I plug. So I guess that's I it. Know. Yeah. Well, All right. That feels weird. There's usually some listen. fundraiser going on. So wow. I know. I know. I'm like, <laughs> it's a weird lull. Hey. Well, I mean, hey, if you want to, you know, send money, I'll go towards something. I don't know. Yeah. I'm probably my garden. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Go out to my res for wood, usually. We're always raising money for wood out there, I feel. so. Yeah, so there you go. So there's a constant plug, yeah. Yeah, so, so, you know, anytime you send money this way, it's going to go somewhere. (laughs) You know, besides... I don't, I don't, I don't buy a lot of things. I buy books to read more. <laughs> I, I don't have a life. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, uh, I do have a life. It's just, unfortunately, I have so much freedom. I kind of don't know what to do with myself sometimes. <laughs> so That's okay. I, it's not a lot of, not a problem for a lot of people, but yeah. for me, I'm like, man, I got to make my own schedule now. Like I got to be my own manager. Like I, I got to be the capitalist in my own head. Oh God. <laughs> I was supposed to kill that guy. <laughs> that was a double entendre. That was darker than it should have been, but we'll leave you there. <laughs> Bye. Right, so this has been Mark's Manus Pod. My name is David. I'm Shook Body too. <laughs> Bye.